Pastor with no answers. Listeners, what is up? I said, what's up? Hello, listeners. <laughs> I've lost my daggum mind. Hey, I want to welcome Sean Summers to the Pastor with no answers Patreon community. You can go to patreon.com forward slash PWNA pod pwna pod to check out what that's all about but we are happy to have you part of the community and to include you in on some of the behind the scenes discussions i also want to tell you guys about agape flashcards have some of these bad boys in my hand right now and basically they are small you can hold them in the palm of your hand Really well done flashcards of scriptures. Our listenership, we represent all sorts of different ways of approaching the Bible. And I mean different ways that Christians approach the Bible. But one thing we pretty much agree on is there's some really good, helpful, encouraging, uplifting stuff. These cards are broken down into faith scriptures, personal discipline scriptures, promise scriptures, kingdom scriptures, healing scriptures. And they, they're actually really good for adults. But I would say if you have kids and you want them to get acclimated to some cool stuff in the Bible, you could use them for those. Those guys as well. Really cool is that 10% of all the profits go to organizations fighting against human trafficking, including Exodus Road, the Network, and the Child Rescue Initiative. You can go to agapeflashcards.com, check these things out, or just make your life simple and type in amazon.com and find them there. Really cool stuff. Looking forward to you guys enjoying this show, so let's not wait anymore. Thank you guys for listening. Peace out. <laughs> hey, we were talking, gosh, on a on a recent episode, I think, where, Natalie, I was telling you just how I really am sensitive towards... LGBTQ community as far as the terminology to use. Well, I, I guess I say that I'm sensitive towards it, but I'm also going to say I'm, I feel pretty uneducated. So maybe that's my fault and maybe that means I'm not sensitive toward it. But at the very least, I can say I would never have the attitude of, I don't care. I'm not going to learn all your terminologies. You need to just be okay with that and blah, 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 blah. But I am kind of lost and I, uh, to the to the point where you were calling me like a, a a southern boy and i mean i i just call people man like i i and i i tweeted someone i'm pretty sure he is uh you know he calls himself queer and he him stuff that i don't get and i was kind of like giving him some uh some dap you know online basically saying man that was really cool man and he blasted me, said, like, how can you assume, you know, first of all, don't call me man and, and all this stuff. So I seriously want to know. And then I, I've got some other questions for y'all. But what what is someone trying to convey? And I'm going on the record as stupid. I know people are like, how can Joey not know this? But when people have on like their Twitter profile, he, him, she, her, I don't know what they're trying to say. I don't get it. I would like to start this off with a disclaimer. <laughs> Joey <laughs> really is not... a good guy. <laughs> well, no, not even that. Obviously, like the fact that he you're asking this heart. question, 
means you care, which is like a huge thing, right? Um, Disclaimer for myself, I am not the voice of the LGBTQ community, and my opinion is my own from my own experience with the community and with the online community as well. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with from inference from what I understand, a lot of it has to do with like trans awareness, right? So yeah. for a long period of time, trans people were kind of like erased and or not like considered as people because they were for a long time like referred to as it, mm-hmm. oh. right? And people were not sensitive to the idea of like not only trans sexual people, but transgender people who may or even like non gender binary people who don't ascribe to one or the other, but rather both or neither, Um, which is like a whole conversation with regards to like the idea of identity and gender versus like sexual orientation Mm -hmm. versus like a person's bits, right? Because they are not all mutually exclusive. Um, But I had a conversation with a friend of mine who is trans and or rather they're yeah they're trans and they're like non-binary um but i think a chunk of it is like even if you so like i don't believe that gender is like a real thing i think it's just a construct that people make up to make life easier for themselves um sexuality is a real thing i think um like a person's sex is a real thing because you're born with bits or you're not or you're born with like maybe bits that belong to both or so whatever. you're distinguishing sex from gender that from gender things. we'll have to talk about yeah. that another time i got a lot of questions that's a whole that. that's a yeah. whole other thing <laughs> yeah. but to me um gender is just like an idea so i was telling this person my friend um that i don't understand why they have to why they feel the need to like identify as non-binary when like gender doesn't exist at all really and they were saying that like for most of the world that's not how people mm-hmm. think they think you are either a male or a female when you don't think about, like, gender as being a thing, then it changes the game. Like, for myself, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. But for a lot of people, they identify as they, them, um, because they neither, they either identify as neither he or she, or as both, like, somewhere in the middle. And because of that, they want to be referred to as they or them, because there's a lot of connotations with calling someone who was born a woman but no longer identifies as a woman, she. Right. Like their experience is very different. They see themselves as very different. A lot of times it comes with things like body dysmorphia, which is hard enough to deal with. So when body you're walking what? dysmorphia, which means like, yeah, if I don't know the your... he, her thing, you know, I don't know what dysmorphia well, means. <laughs> body, body dysmorphia is when you see yourself like if I was to say and this, this is my good little whatever. Um, I see myself, obviously, like I am a voluptuous person, I have curves, I have bits. But in my brain, I don't see myself as very feminine. I see myself as like more masculine. Then me seeing myself in a feminine body causes a lot of like dissonance between like who I am as a physical person and how I feel I carry myself. Mm -hmm. And is that societal? Like that's, is that that's a thing? Yeah, that people go through a lot. And like, a lot of times trans people start with like, not a lot of times, there are trans people who can suffer from body dysmorphia and it's not always sexual either. Um, I think uh, there's a lot to say when it comes to like people in the eating disorder camp where they feel like they are like huge, but they're actually like not 
like you just see yourself in a different light than you actually are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that can be tied to like a ton of things. But when people say, also say, <laughs> when people are specific as far as like, these are my pronouns, right? So like, I identify as she, her, right? Um, but that says nothing about my sexuality, that just says about my gender and how I identify myself. Um, other people know to call me she, her. I do not have a thing where I want to be called they, them. I have nothing like that. I'm not a trans person. But the fact that I, if I was to put that on like my bio, for example, on social media, it like highlights that like I am aware of the trans person's plight and want to contribute to that conversation. Yeah, I like how you put that. John, are you, would you consider yourself pretty up with all the lingo like i hope so i feel like i'm pretty yeah. hip to yeah, the yeah. game uh, i as <laughs> so like as a white passing man so i'm i'm half mexican and so like as a white passing man um i understand just how much privilege i've been given in the world and so i i understand and, and try to be extra sensitive to people's wishes and wants of how they want to be treated and then also um, try to have as little opinions as I can um, uh, uh, just cool. in the whole thing. Cause like, cool. I don't, I, I just don't know. And so like, if someone wants to be called they or them or he, she, what, whatever they want to be called, I'll call them, you know? Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's where I sit with the whole thing. I, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, yeah. And I, and I say this sincerely, like, like I, Part of the reason why I wanted you guys to have a voice on this show is I actually have learned from you guys. I, John, I don't know if you remember, and I don't even remember what the context was, but I mean, you very gently called me out on something as a friend. It wasn't like this crazy back and forth something on Facebook, but I was like, dang, that really does make a lot of sense. I'm glad John said that because that kind of clues me in. And then also gives me an opportunity to kind of retract and back up a little bit. And Natalie, you know, the stuff that I've, I've learned from you. I remember in our house church, I remember asking all of us, cause a lot of the, a lot of the anger, some of the anger had to do with, with people in the group that, that, you know, were very angry at how evangelicals got Trump into office and having very evangelical families and the evangelical families not understanding why their daughter or their son wasn't a Trump supporter. And I asked you guys, I said, what would y'all do if someone walked into our house church and had a make America great again, t-shirt and was a Trump supporter. And I'll be honest. I don't think people liked that question. At all. <laughs> do y'all remember that? Do y'all remember yes. that? I, like, I really felt like people were like, well, I don't want to start a big argument, but we wouldn't like it. We probably would say something, but I don't think people <laughs> really <laughs> But I was, What's crazy yeah. is I think about that all of the time. Yeah. Because moving back, so moving back to Tampa, um, Artie's being watched a lot of time by my grandparents. Yeah. Right. And so, like, for those of you that don't know, I'm Puerto Rican, um, but I'm definitely like, I would say I'm white passing. Um, See, I, yeah, y'all family... taught me a new terminology. So that's a thing to say white passing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you can pass as a white person, you then, get treated yeah. differently. So, like, I'm very, very light skinned. Yeah. So I don't have the same plight that, like, a lot of my family mm-hmm. does. Yep. Also, say, my grandfather is a very big, very dark skinned man. He is an indigenous man. Okay. 
I walk into this man's house three times out of the week to drop off my daughter so they can watch her. And he has two Trump hats sitting <laughs> on his counter at all times. And it literally reminds me of like that conversation so many times because I have learned that people are more than their political association right, yeah. and they have depth, but wow, is it hard not to get upset every time I yeah. see them. Man. The, the, the most upsetting thing for me is, and it, and it actually does. I, I, I understand that this isn't necessarily enough. I, I get it, but it actually does mean something to me when someone will, it, a, a Trump supporter will actually acknowledge. I, I think that guy is extremely inappropriate I think he says things that he shouldn't say. He's definitely not my Christian pre- Like that actually means something because what is just so maddening is when people literally have him on the throne of Christianity, like the answer to prayer for this mm. country. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you're the same people that were just crucifying Bill Clinton. Like for, I mean, I just, it's just, I can't. I don't even know what to it's say crazy. about it. I don't even. Know. But I, I, I wanted to ask y'all though. Y'all, I mean, please tell me. And I still love and respect you if you don't. But please tell me that you. <laughs> Good start. Please tell me that you call BS on people pissed at Vince Bond for shaking Trump's hand. People pissed at Ellen and DeGeneres for being a friend with George Bush. I mean, that's just that's just too much for me. I'm like. Because I, I like what you said, Natalie. You were just like, people are more than their political affiliation. And that, to me, especially when Christians act like that, I'm like, you missed the point. Mm-hmm. You have totally missed the point. Because the sort of people that Jesus welcomed, including the Pharisees that probably would have been ardent Trump supporters, he was chill with all of them. I mean, y'all, the look on your face, Natalie, I'm thinking maybe that you like the fact that people are pissed at Vince Vaughn. <laughs> I, Did you want Vince Vaughn to spit in Trump's face or something? Here's, here's the thing. I stand by what I said, man. I stand by the idea that, like, people are complex mm-hmm. and, you know, we are more than what we what we claim to believe. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's important that, like, in those particular, like, examples, those are not real people to me. And that sounds awful. Vince Vaughn um, and Trump. Not real people. Is that what you're saying? They're. I'm. What I'm saying is like I can speculate all I want. I don't know them. They are nothing to me. Hmm. So what they decide to do is entirely on them. Same all right, with so like you Ellen see- DeGeneres and Bush. It's it's like listen, you very well could have that depth, but at the end of the day, you guys make a shit ton of money, and you're lizard people. <laughs> you're what people? You know what I mean? You're lizard people. You're not a real person. Yeah. So you see, you see Joey Svensson. For for some reason, I was at the national championship game, and I got to sit behind Trump. And you see me being chums with with Donald Trump. Like, do you think? Dang it! I thought I knew Joey better than that. That's a whole other conversation because I do know you, right? And you are a person to me in my life that I communicate with on a daily basis, right? Trump is a personality. Yeah, I don't know him and his intricacies. Same with Vince Vaughn. Same with Ellen DeGeneres. But that's just like how I view that public spectrum right. of people mm-hmm. because I will never presume to know them because I don't. They exist and they have a lot of influence in my life even though I don't know them. And that to me is scary. Yeah. But aside from that, no. I, I think what's interesting and dangerous is both outrage culture um, 
and cancel culture, which would kind of go hand in hand. Trash. Right? Like, what's, yeah. what's cancel culture, you said? Yeah, so outrage culture and cancel culture, like when, when people get super upset and go on social media tirades about Vince Vaughn shaking hands with Trump, I'm in Nat's camp. Like, I don't care, honestly. Right. Um, I'm still going to watch Vince Vaughn movies. Still think he's hilarious. I still love Ellen DeGeneres and her dancing shoes. Like, it's all fine. They're entertainers <laughs> to me. Um, but what's problematic is, like, this this big blown up thing and we get outraged about these trivial in my in my opinion trivial things somebody's shaking someone else's hand that's yeah. not an endorsement <laughs> that doesn't mean that right. that right. he voted for him or he's going to vote for him it doesn't mean anything um but we blow all of this stuff up and, and in that blow up of outrage we lose a lot of our the focus on things that matter and the things that are important mm-hmm. i think right so like um, and it, it happens a lot in p- the political realm, but also in social realm. And, and what we do is we get super upset and then we cancel this Vince Vaughn. I'm never watching. I'm boycotting Vince Vaughn. I'm never watching any of his movies again. Um, it's mm-hmm. crazy town. It's absolutely right. crazy, crazy town. town. Um, and, and frankly, um, we are like ruining people's lives completely prematurely. Um, it's a it's a court of public uh, guilt or innocence and, um, and we're canceling people and ruining these entertainers careers because they like, didn't what w- w- turn their back on Trump. And right. you know what I mean? Right. It's crazy. I, yeah. I, yeah. With regards to cancel culture, which is like a whole thing, there's actually a really good video, um, of this person. I think their name on YouTube is like contra points, hmm. but they have, like a whole thing on cancel culture and how toxic it is and how problematic it is Um, because people's lives do get ruined and like a lot of times people cancel like big named people because they feel like I think somewhere deep in their subconscious they know that you know they regardless of what they choose to do that person's gonna be fine you know what I mean but the problem is whenever you like quote-unquote cancel someone who's like I don't know, a school teacher, right, right, who makes a bad tweet, and that person gets, like, fired over, like, something, that, like, there's no room for nuance, there's no room for anything, you step a toe out of line, you're canceled, and that's crazy town, I agree with Josh. Yeah, right. and, and right. so I'm a huge, I'm very, very progressive person, just in general, and, and, um, identify as a brown person and like all of those things that I just saw just this week, an article about there's a, there's a university of South Carolina student who posted something and used the N word on her post on Martin Luther King day, which is Big crazy yikes. disrespectful wow. over completely over the line. But this girl's what 18 to 22, maybe right. Um, she immediately was, expelled from school all of her everything job fired like in a day 24 hours for making yeah. um what i would hope would be a really really awful mistake but that's what i'm talking about with cancel culture is like there's no room for growth or learning when we're canceling yeah. right. everybody we don't give there's no opportunity for redemption there's no opportunity for them right being, oh my bad you're right Right. She did a better. stupid thing. Yeah, it was horrible. Like, someone needs to tell her, hey, maybe don't do that stupid thing, and here's why, as opposed to like, and I'm never talking to you again. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's, that's not, not helpful. It's, 
it's so crazy that the, the the sort of stuff that y'all are saying is is so timely because the the interview that is forthcoming uh, on this episode, I actually got pretty nervous about it, and you can, you guys are helping me feel less nervous. So y'all probably aren't y'all maybe heard of it, but I grew up with a, a show called Dukes of Hazard. Mm-hmm. So it is we know about them Dukes of Hazard. Okay, I didn't know. I, I hey I. <laughs> I taught seventh grade in 2000, and people didn't know the Flintstones, so I, I never assumed that people know stuff. Boomerang is a thing. We know the Flintstones. So, <laughs> so basically, John Schneider, he is Bo Duke, and I think this guy is extremely impressive person, just what he's accomplished. Just talking to him, I'm like, man, this guy has learned a lot, done a lot in life, get a lot about, uh, about what he says. And I am going to go on the record to think – to, to say I think he's a good guy and I don't think he is a racist. We got in a conversation and I personally think that he said some things that I would say I disagree with and I think is wrong, but I don't think saying something wrong makes you a racist. I think it makes you someone that may need to learn more or may have said something and has and and was misunderstood but i think that's and i never knew that it was called cancel culture but that's what it is it's like somebody says something wrong write them off as a racist but i will i will say this so when when and and people will hear this and people will hear me push back a little bit and then i realize you know what i I just don't want to make a big thing out of this but listen to what i did i was like let's talk about tyler perry because him and tyler perry are friends (laughs) and so Mm. i immediately wanted to be like let's let our listeners know this guy is is in with with tyler perry but i just i got i just got a little bit nervous and that's what i that's what i don't like and john you know i i i want to be more like you and Natalie, I think you're, you're probably the same way as just being less concerned. And I'm, I'm, I'm making some, some pretty big strides, but just being less concerned about what people think about me. But I hate the fact that I have to feel so careful. And I, I do think that the whole society is, is, is turning into something like that. It's like everybody has to be super careful because they don't want to be canceled. They don't want to be written off. I think that that is fair. But I definitely also think, and I haven't heard the interview, right. and I don't know that guy, obviously, but I definitely think there's something to be said when, like, you are automatically on the defensive about a person saying they're not racist. You know what I mean? And, like, I definitely think cancel culture is trash, and I think there needs to be room for growth and, like, for explanation. But if the concern is that you're concerned that people are probably going to think this person is racist due to their remarks is a giant red flag for well, he, and me. Sure, sure. Well, well, let's let's get into this a little bit. So, here here's what it is. Um, he he basically makes a comment that in my opinion isn't getting isn't giving uh, African Americans enough credit for what they have to walk through. Mm. In all fairness, I do think that is what John called me out on Facebook for again in a very friendship oriented way, but Mm -hmm. along the lines of that's kind of easy for you to say, Joey, I would say that we all probably struggle with a hint of racism or prejudice or something, but I'll go on the record to say, I really don't consider myself a racist by any means, but I said something wrong and John called me out on it. 
So that sure. that is the context of this is he ba- you know this is a guy that is buddies with Tyler Perry, buddies with uh, a, a lot of black people, but it, I think because he's so comfortable, he's kind of like ah, everybody has equal opportunity. Everybody's you know and and yeah. just you know what I'm saying like kind of like not giving credit where credit is due as far as there is there is real privilege. So I think someone can have a lack of appreciation for privilege and it be ignorance maybe totally and not racism. I I completely agree. And as the guy that did the calling out, I've had those thoughts too, because I've again walked through life as a white passing male. Like everybody's treated me with gotten privilege. I continue to get privilege everywhere that I go. Right. Um, And I've had those arguments about um, black and brown people having to say everybody has access to college. Everybody has this and that and the other thing. And it's, it was coming from a, you're right. A place of ignorance, not a place of malice. However, I think the problem comes when people aren't open-minded to hear about and to talk through those mechanisms that are in our society that make privilege. So like, that's kind of where I find a rub and, and what I find problematic are are people in my life that are like white privilege, isn't a thing period. And all of um, your arguments that say that it is are bogus. And I'm like, well, that's not helpful or constructive, but um, so that's my, and and I don't think that ignorance equals racism. I don't think ignorant, Ignorance equals yeah. this person's a racist. I'm I'm completely in agreement with you, but again, there's there's a there's a line or there's um there's a place where people push back on learning more and getting better and growing, and that I find offensive and that I find to be yeah. super problematic. Yeah, well, it will be it'll be really interesting. I don't know if we will get back on here and actually. Well, maybe you guys remind me because I would love for y'all to listen to this interview and, and, and tell me what you think. It'll be interesting. Like I'll, I'll be curious if one of y'all is like, I can't believe. (laughs) (laughs) But Um, but I really, I I mean, like I said, I go on the record to think, I think this guy's great. I don't think he's a racist at all. I think he sees the world through different lenses. And I think we all see things accurately and we all see things inaccurately. We don't have our stuff together. And you know, that's just kind of where I sit with all of this. I think to that point, um, yeah, man, it's it's silly to think that everyone has their shit together, right? It's silly to think that everyone has the answers and that everyone's careful and that everyone is uh, sensitive to everyone else's plate. Um, and I'll, I'll give the guy this. He's an older gentleman, naturally, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if it was a younger person, I would say, hey, man, you have the internet, you have resources, and you, if you, like, like, you care, Joey, like you're asking people about these things. You have this podcast. You have a genuine curiosity to like people's, the human condition. You know what I mean? So you're going to seek out like to understand. Um, so that's, I mean, and I'm not saying that that's too much to ask from like an older person. Um, but I think that that is where a lot of this like weird ambiguity comes into play is like, sure you are, you may be an ignorant person, but like, do you seek to understand or are you living blatantly in this ignorance? Yeah. And I think a lot of that becomes difficult because like people will say like, oh, well, I'm friends with Tyler Perry or I have a lot of like African-American friends. So like naturally I'm not a racist. And I'm saying but, that, not him. Just just going. I, no, I right. get that. Yeah. Right. But like, that's not how that works. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, that being said, I'm really excited to listen to it. We are here with John Schneider, and I'm going to try not to go overboard, John, but if someone would have told my seven-year-old, if someone would have told my seven-year-old version that I would one day be able to talk to Bo Duke about the Dukes of Hazard, I would have said, I don't need anything else in life, no wife, kids, shelter. (laughs) You know, I I understand that. I understand that because later on in the... Later on in my life, I became really good friends with Burt Reynolds, oh and uh, and had uh, had and part of this is in the is in the book. But had somebody told me when uh, when I was climbing over a fence and sneaking onto the set of Smoking the Bandit in 1976, that 40 years later or 35 years later, I'd be sitting with Burt in his living room drinking drinking beer, watching football. I'd, I'd say, "You're out of your mind." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's that's so cool. That really yeah, is. So yeah. I want you know, I want to talk about all the things you've done and are doing. My gosh, it's I mean it's ridiculous. Uh, author, star on Dukes of Hazard, Smallville, and currently on Tyler Perry's Have and Have Nots, uh, chart topping music career. It looks like you started a nonprofit and my gosh, an apple pie moonshine C B D oil. So it's <laughs> it's crazy, but <laughs> At, right. at of course, some we call point, it can I Bodhi, see Bodhi oil? C- yep, 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 I was gonna get, yep, for sure. Why not? For sure. Why not? So, at, at some point, can I get into some uh, Dukes and ha- Dukes of Hazard? Absolutely. Questions? You okay with Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, I wanted to your your life is obviously a, a unique journey. I mean, just the stuff that you've done, the stuff that you're still doing. Was there like a point in your life, I, you know, as a young guy, where you were just saying, you, you thought to yourself, you know what, I'm not playing by the rules, not going to do things how most people do things. My life is just going to be different. Well, I never really was a, a rule. Uh, I'm not a rule breaker. You know, I, yeah. I try to walk in the crosswalk and I pick up trash when I see it. Uh, yeah. But as far as as theater and music and and uh, getting myself out there uh, and the reports I wrote when I was in middle school and uh, term papers I did, they were all unusual. They were all so yeah. unusual that it was it was something I was. I heard from many teachers over many, many, you know, high school seems like such a long time. I was only there for three years. I got out a year early, but I heard from a lot of people. What's that? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Mount Kisco, New York. And then, uh, but I did go to high school in, uh, outside of Atlanta. My mother worked for IBM and got transferred. But it was normal for me to hear from teachers. Well, you know, this isn't exactly the way, we wanted it to be done, but this is so interesting. We're going to let it slide. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty cool. So you heard yeah. that more than once, eh? I heard that a lot. Yeah, and I still hear it. You know, I still we yeah. we do uh, Alicia and I do movies, we do music, we do all kinds of things. And what I hear mostly is this is so much fun. How come? How come nobody else knows that? this isn't supposed to be an arduous task, making a movie or making a record or doing a sound check. How, how come, uh, 
how come so many people just pull their hair out and either either pretend that this is hard work, which it's not, or or just want to believe that they're they're doing something that is in, insanely difficult. Yeah. And because uh, we just yeah. we have fun, but we also take what we do very seriously. But you know, there's a there's a difference between people just with their their. Uh, I think it's ego that makes people want want to project that something is hard. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of like when you. I mean, it's it's almost like a badge of honor if you ask someone, you know, how hey, how are things going. Everybody likes to say, "Oh man, busy, busy, busy." You know, like, I just can't wait till well, Friday. If you, well, if then gonna, change your job, right. man. Exactly. If you're going to lead with busy, 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 maybe there's something that you need to rethink if that's the first thing that comes to mind for sure. You know, with what you just said, though, I I really this may sound like a a childish question, but is acting like the funnest thing ever? Like sometimes I'll watch actors and actresses and I'm like, I'm watch. I'm like, man, that's got to be the most fun. Well, it's the easiest thing. It's the easiest thing. Yeah. you're wearing somebody else's clothes, saying somebody else's words, standing in, in somebody else's light. And yeah. uh, that's why that's why it really drives me crazy when, when uh, actors are, are uh, I don't know if they're given or they just take some monstrous public stance as if they have any idea what reality is. Uh, yeah. And by they, I guess I mean we, except, you know, I do, uh, I do dig my own post holes, um, <laughs> which I think is important. <laughs> um yeah. But yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. But it's it's uh, with all the other stuff. With the um, I like to say when you're making a movie uh, or you're doing a record, you are your vocal is a piece of the puzzle. Your your role, your character, whoever you're playing, is a piece of of the thousand piece jigsaw puzzle that I used to do with my grandmother. You know, we used to love to do puzzles. Right. Right. And that uh, that picture is always in my head, and I think. Um, so how can how can a piece of the front bumper of a 69 charger in a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle think it's more important than any other piece in the puzzle? Because it's, you know, <laughs> unless it's the last piece, which somehow right. seems more important because then, you know, you're finished. Um, yeah. But no, no one piece is more important than any other piece. Um, Gosh. That's, however, that's, that's- in, awesome. in writing yeah. and directing, uh, we're, we're doing a uh, Smoking the Bandit uh, tribute film starting the end of February, we're doing a movie called Stand On It. And I'm, uh, nice. I'm like two scenes from being finished writing the script, and I know we're doing the movie at the end of February. So it's a, it's a, I love that. But yeah. when you start with a blank piece of paper or a blank screen and an idea, uh, now that's pretty special, you know. Somebody who designs right. the puzzle, uh, who then color corrects the puzzle and decides if there's going to be a thousand or twelve hundred or five hundred pieces, you know. Now that job that that carries with it a little more weight, right? And uh, not to say it's harder, but for me, it's more enjoyable. And then yeah. I put that yeah. I take that hat off which I will today, that script on my calendar, it says finish stand on it today. So I will. Uh, then my director hat goes on. Then we're into casting and location scouting and, and figuring out where we're going to bring the writer's vision to uh, reality or what we loosely call right. reality. 
Uh, and that, too, carries a lot of weight. But it's fun. It's not like, oh, man, now I've got to be the director. Right. So when I right. when I bump into actors who, who say, oh, yeah, i got to do eight shows a week on Broadway. Well, eight shows a week, that's 16 hours a week. Shut up. I mean, my God. <laughs> so true. My God. So yeah, true. go, go. <laughs> Go cut a cord of firewood and then talk to me about what's hard. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's exactly right. I mean, yeah. totally. So, go do your own. You podcast, wrote a book, then I'll show you what's hard. Yeah, there you go. And there promote it, right? I mean, you got to get people to hear right. your stuff. You had to have had yeah. the vision to do it in the first place. You have to know what you want it to be about and what the tone needs to be, and then you get in touch with yeah. different pieces of the puzzle. And I'm one of the pieces of your yeah. puzzle. Right. And, totally. and, so, I mean, there's there's so many people that they want to direct movies. They I, I mean, I, I know some people personally who have written whole movie scripts and everything. And I'm sure that is a very common thing. And I'm also sure that the vast majority of them never go anywhere just because there's there's so many like was your foot in the door just basically your like Dukes of Hazard. I mean, no one's going to talk to Bo Duke and, and just dismiss any idea that, that you've come up with. I mean, it was, was well, that helpful the, once you in, had that role? In the Director's Guild, my foot in the door was Dukes because when you're, the, uh, when you're a regular on a show, I don't know if it's still the case, but then when you were a regular on the show, you could skip over a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of interning and a lot of things you needed to do in order to become a member of the Director's Guild. So back in 1984, yeah. um, I became a member of the Directors Guild. Back in 1981, I think I became, or 80, I became a member of the Writers Guild because I wrote on the, the John Schneider Back Home uh, special that I did way, 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 way back when. So I yeah. knew, instinctively, I knew that I was in a position that where I could, I could force a couple of things. But when we did Dukes of Hazard, I'm a, I had already been doing theater for 10 years. I started at eight years old. So I was doing theater and magic and playing my guitar and learning to juggle and hair and makeup and lighting. I mean, all that, everything you could imagine. Writing kick-ass essays in school. Yeah, writing kick-ass, <laughs> albeit unusual essays in school. Um, <laughs> but I... Uh, I um, I, I had a, a, and still do, I have a voracious appetite to learn how to do what we do better. Right. Um, and one thing I learned early on, because now if we go back into time here, when Dukes of Hazard was on, we, we started filming in 1978. So when we, when we were filming, the, the men and women who, wrote and directed Dukes of Hazard were already 50. So oh they had, they had been born in the, in the teens or twenties. Some of them were 60 or 70. So some have been born before the turn of the century, but right. they had, they had been alive when vaudeville was King. Uh, they had been alive when radio was the golden age of radio. And this is the most important thing. They'd been alive when radio turned into television with Dragnet right. and Gunsmoke and The Saint and uh, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar and Wanted Dead or Alive and all these all these things that were radio shows needed directors. So they really invented how to direct for television. 
So imagine me, an 18-year-old sponge who'd already made 15 or 20 Super 8 movies with my little camera, uh, who'd already done probably 18 musicals or uh, or dramas, you know, been on stage. So I'm watching these these men and women and just soaking it all up. So when I when I decided I wanted to force my hand because I could and become a member of the Directors Guild, it wasn't because I had a casual interest. I don't have a casual interest in anything. Yeah. I'm either interested or not. And yeah. uh, so I went for it. And uh, now that uh, Alicia and I have been, we've made 10 movies in five years. Um, Good Lord. So, uh, and recorded 106 songs, released released uh, over 50 singles. I mean, we, we go for it. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, is that, is that, is that part of, like, would you say that a lot of your professional career is also leisure and stuff you like to do? Because I'm thinking, like, when, when do you well, get I away and, do all and relax? Yeah. And, there is, there is, uh, you know, it's the old saying, if you love what you, if you love your work, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, right. if you looked right. at what I do, you would say, all I do is work. But right. I, I find my work, we play, occasionally we'll play golf. We used to play more golf, but, but, uh, we've been, uh, with music coming back, uh, into my life and with the book and with the advertising of the CBO D oil. And I mean, all this stuff, there really is no time for anything other than, uh, singing, writing, directing, you know, all the stuff that I love to do. Yeah. Um, but I would not call any of it. I would not call any of it difficult, and I would also not call any of it leisure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just call it yeah, necessary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So that I love it. Like how? So how did you become Bo Duke? Like what was the process? That were there like a you know a hundred nice looking blonde headed dudes you know oh, going for a thousand. this. Probably a thousand thousand because they went to New York. They went to Dallas. They were all over Los Angeles. And then finally they went to Atlanta. Uh, Yeah. But um, well, first of all, folks who are listening, if you want to know the, the, the whole story, get my book, John Schneider. It's called my life, my way. And now that you're hearing me talk, I think you'll know why I, why I called it that because it's my life, my way. Uh, yep, and and let me say something to our listeners real quick. Everything that we talk about will be in the show notes. So the Cbo uh, D Oil, uh, John Schneider's book, his his latest record release, his website. So everything will be in the show. Excellent, notes. excellent. All right, excellent. go ahead, John. Well, I had uh, I was in in Atlanta, and I had just gotten out of high school the year before, and um, and that's important to note because high school I felt was in my way. Uh, kind of a necessary evil because I was doing theater at night, was doing theater during the day. Uh, had a, a wonderful deal with my principal in the board of education where I could go and perform in a traveling show for other, other high schools actually, uh, and get a music credit and English credit and a foreign language credit and not have to be in school in the morning. Um, so again, that was, that's part and party to my, my teachers, in this case, my principal going, you know, we don't normally do this, but you are, we're going to do this. I'm going to make this work for you because this needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I did that, but I also went to summer school my 10th grade year and my 11th grade year so I could graduate early. So I actually graduated when I got out of my second term of summer school. So all that to say that had I still been in high school when I heard about the auditions for Dukes of Hazard, I wouldn't have been able to go. So I listened to that voice in my head that said, look, dude, if you're serious about this, you got to get out of high school. And, and in order to do that, you've got to give up two summers. So I did. Um, so when I heard about the auditions for Dukes, I heard about it through my agent. I had an agent, uh, had several in those days. You could have several agents. It was non, non-exclusive. And I auditioned that same week in Atlanta for, uh, a movie with Robert Duvall called the great Santini, uh, to play his son, but I'm about a foot taller than him. So that wasn't going to work out. <laughs> uh, I, they saw me for, uh, to replace John Travolta and welcome back Cotter. You're, you're probably oh not gosh. old enough to remember that he left that show I'd... and they, they brought in a Southerner. Right. Oh my God. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> um, know that. Stephen Shortridge, I think was his name. Um, and I auditioned for the Dukes of Hazard. Now, in for the Dukes of Hazard, it is true that I I heard they were looking for people twenty four to thirty from rural Georgia, with no experience. They were not looking for actors. Now, I was eighteen from Westchester County, New York. I just happened to be living in Atlanta, so I went in. I I had my agent tell them that I was twenty four, from Snailville, Georgia, and this was a perfect time for me because I had just graduated first in my class at the Georgia school of high performance driving, which didn't exist, (laughs) but there was no internet. You couldn't check it. You couldn't check my age. You couldn't check any, you couldn't fact check any of that. So this is awesome. I went in with, with, cause I had, I had heard about an actor in town who had come in for an audition and, and, uh, the script called for him to spit, you know, he's chewing and spitting. So he's chewing tobacco and spitting. So he came into the audition and he chewed and he spit on the floor on the carpet of this. This was a urban legend that actually was true. Uh, and the reason why is he had said at that point, you don't, uh, he said, you want to walk out of an audition having made an impression. And it doesn't necessarily mean if it matter if it's good or bad, right? But be unforgettable. So I went to this audition and it was in the Omni International Hotel, which was a very posh hotel in downtown Atlanta, where I happened to be working doing a a music cabaret show called the Manhattan Yellow Pages. So I was working in the building and I went in with a six pack of Pabst Blue Ribbon. And I sat down on the, on the couch in the, uh, the secretary's waiting room, put my feet up on the table and opened a beer. <laughs> yep. And I Unforgettable. gave from that point <laughs> and I carried my, my, my six pack into the other room for the audition. Uh, and that is bad ass, man. Yeah. You know, and that was the first audition. Second audition. I brought the beer back. Uh, in my, uh, yeah, I, but I left it out in the lobby. And, um, <laughs> then after that, uh, I got a 
you do the first audition, then you get a callback audition, which is the second one. And then if you survive that in those days, I don't know if it still works. Now you probably just film yourself on your cell phone. But um, they called me. And what's funny about this is when the phone would ring at home, I was I was living with my mom. I was in high school. Uh, <laughs> I would say, if that's Warner Brothers, tell them I'm busy. Well, the phone the phone <laughs> rang and it was Warner Brothers. And I had the uh, a screen test. They sent me a ticket round trip ticket on Delta first class, 300 bucks from Atlanta to Los Angeles. Uh, and I, I got the screen test. So my, my, uh, my life changed. Although I I was supposed to be there for four days. I was there for, uh, almost five weeks, uh, reading with different people, uh, rehearsing with different people every Wednesday, Thursday, and then reading for the network on Friday because um, they were trying to get the right combination of, of Bo, Luke and Daisy. Yeah. Um, and they did not get the right combination. Uh, Dennis Quaid was in there and Lorenzo Lamas was in there and a bunch of Dennis Quaid. Wow. Yeah. He was in the mix and, and a bunch of people were in the mix, but it didn't, it didn't look, feel, or smell right until they brought Tom Wopat in from uh, New York. He was doing a show on Broadway, and they brought him in, and, and there was a chemistry, and still is. There's a, there's a friendship that's palpable between Wopat and Schneider that, uh, that just was there from the very beginning. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, which I'm sure helped. I found out on a Saturday sure. that I had it. I said, it had it. Yeah. You know, you're going home. I said, okay, but I, did I get it? or you know. Because I, in my soul, I knew I got it because somehow I knew that that role had been written for me. And right. uh, my agent said, "Yep, you got it. You're going to be filming back in the, you know, 20 miles from where you live in Georgia next week." Oh my so, gosh! Is so, it is it is it uh, on the table to ask like what a star of a hit television show made back then in that it, in the, it the late initial 70s deal memo, it, it seemed like millions of dollars it was fourteen hundred dollars an episode wow yeah you know and, and we shot how, for 12 days now per diem per diem for if you if you go on location and shoot it shoot something i think per diem is a hundred dollars a day so if i worked for 14 days i i would get that without having a salary <laughs> right all right all right. Yeah. So the world, so the world's I, like, changed. Like, yeah, for sure. So as a kid, I remember being out with my brother and my parents on a Friday night, and obviously there was no, you know, we didn't even have a VCR yet to to record stuff. No, they and were so it was, they were like fifteen hundred bucks. Right. Right. So it was priority to get back to watch the Dukes of Hazards. Uh, Hazard. So for for me, it was like seriously one of the biggest things in my life as a kid. How like now as an adult i don't I, I don't know how to gauge like how big was the show like oh it was number you know, one com- it was top five top five all the time gosh yeah so we were uh, yeah. we averaged 28 million people a week over our seven years that watched the dukes of hazard wow Average. and you know as an as an that, that's great as an adult too i thought about you know, i don't watch a whole lot of tv and so i'm sure there's maybe some other shows that pulled this off too but i thought how unique the Dukes of Hazard was in that the cops were the bad guys, you know, and and it was it was appropriate for all ages, so it, yep. it wasn't like a, a bad thing, but it was like the good guys were truly the rebels that the bad guy cops were always after. I thought that right. was so awesome. It was Robin and, Hood, yeah. It was Robin Hood and yeah. the Sheriff of Nottingham. 
Yeah, it yeah. was uh, it was great. Um, and really, so were you really guys, the bad were you guys, guys off? were not oh, that bad, and the good guys were not right. that good. Right. Right. You know, we had our yeah. we had our cracks, we had our flaws, and our bad guys. Uh, and we did this in um, in Christmas cars. We just had a movie that did really well for us. Uh, Christmas cars was out on our streaming service. We have a streaming service called uh, Cineflix, D O D. Uh, and we also sold the DVD through John Schneider Studios. But yeah. um, I played a guy who was a, was a good guy with flaws, and our bad guys had a conscience. You know, it's important that your bad yeah. guy has a conscience. And Dukes of Hazard was watched and still watched by entire families from two-year-olds to 90-year-olds. And yeah. people will say, well, you know, Knight Rider was a popular show, too. Yeah, but there were no adults watching Knight Rider. Right. Kids were watching right. Knight Rider. Adults were watching Dukes of Hazard with their children. We were truly yeah. a, a, an entire family experience. Uh, I think oh, the yeah. A-team might have been that, too, uh, because of George yeah. Pappard. Yeah, I think so. George Pappard yeah. was like our Denver pile. It was our reason, our, or he was A-team's reason for somebody over, over 14 to want to watch the show. Yeah. So yeah. it was a perfect so, it was a perfect combination. And I do think I'm pat myself on the back because I wrote Christmas cards. Uh, I do think we captured that that uh, same recipe in Christmas cards. And from the thousands of, of reviews that I've gotten on uh, on my uh, Facebook page and the YouTube channel, people seem to agree, except for about three of them. And I just deleted them because <laughs> I can do that now. There you I go. can ban users. Yeah. Baby. Ban you. Absolutely. How, how close? I love it. How close were all of you? Like, I mean, was there ever uh, a romance, a romantic relationship? No, uh, no, no. That's because Tom and I had both done theater and we knew better. You know, you don't do that. Yeah. No. Yeah. But we were very close. Very, what, very what? like, like cousins. I had Boss a, Hog, Cooter, Roscoe, all of y'all were pretty good buddies. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Great folks. Oh, and by the way, the guy that, uh, that had spit on the, uh, on the carpet for that audition, that was Sonny yeah. Troyer. Who played Enos? Oh, he was the really? yeah, he was the urban legend. He was the the legendary guy who, who taught us all. You don't get a second chance to make a first impression. <clears throat> Gosh, yep. Enos. So I knew I Enos. I about knew him. him back in '75 and Ben, both of them. Yeah, and uh, Byron so Terry, you... who played uh, who played Coy later when Tom and I didn't come back for a while. Uh, Byron Cherry had actually been a friend of mine for three years before Dukes. Right. Yeah. And he's right. in Christmas Gosh. cars. He's in Christmas cars too. Yeah. So you you guys I'm assuming had stuntmen with the crazy General Lee oh, yeah. jumps Lots. and all that Lots stuff. Of did, did the stuntmen ever get hurt? Like was there ever like, oh my gosh, I hope they're okay. That doesn't look good. Oh, it sort never of situations. Good. They always landed badly. You know. <laughs> but uh <laughs> but no, they were fine. I mean, they'd uh, dislocate a shoulder here and there and they'd they'd uh, occasionally break a thumb if they had their their hands on the steering wheel wrong uh yeah. but stunt wise no we didn't have any any accidents that weren't intentional we did have an accident a terrible accident uh i talked about it on my youtube channel uh where the we had rain over the weekend and the road was rutted and we had a uh, camera truck which is a uh, basically a heavy duty a, a three-quarter ton pickup truck with all kinds of gear on it rigging on it and people on it 
uh, we had that go over and someone was killed. It was a, it was a very, very bad, bad day for us all. Um, especially for Rodney, but, um, right. It's, uh, people, if you want to, want to learn more about that, just go to my YouTube channel and, and, uh, look up accident. Uh, yeah. But yeah, other than that, which was terrible, obviously, uh, for the amount of stunts that we did, it was crazy that, that, uh, or it, it's actually a great testimony to Paul Baxley, who was our stunt coordinator, our second unit director, uh, that even though they did so many stunts, I mean, they do two turnovers and a jump before lunch. Uh, yeah. no one was hurt. So he was amazing. Yeah, like, he's, he's gone on as, as have a lot of people from Dukes, but, uh, he was truly amazing. Yeah. That's cool. So I was thinking about this and, and, uh, I'll just say this, John, I was actually proud of myself because I went to your Facebook page and I saw where you actually address this, like our, you know, 2020 is a lot different from the early 1980s. And I remember I had the, the general Lee, I had figurines of you two. I think I had one of uncle Jesse. And I mean, I grew up in an area that was pretty diverse. I had a lot of black friends. And at the time I didn't know, I didn't really even know what the Confederate flag was. I didn't even have a clue to me. It was just a cool flag. Well, people but still in, kind in, of don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They still don't. But to, Today, do you ever get flack for your past role with just how, you know, when when you guys honk the horn, it was it was Dixie and only know, the online flag and, and I have that horn on several of my vehicles and I'll never stop honking it. <laughs> I, do, I so, do not negotiate with terrorists. I do not give in to <laughs> revisionist history and I do yeah. not say something just because it's a popular opinion if I don't mean it. Right. I think the notion, because I've had a lot of people say, well, you know, I didn't know what, I didn't know what the flag meant. You kind of said it. I didn't know what the flag meant, you know, on the show when I was a kid. Well, that kind of implies that we did and we slipped one over on people because this flag is the universal sign of, of uh, racism. Well, it's not, it never was. Uh, we address yeah. this in Christmas cars, too, a lot. I say things like symbols don't hurt people. People hurt people. Um, yeah. In fact, my understanding, I've not seen it in print, but I've had several people tell me that the NAACP has actually gone on record online as saying that this flag is not a symbol of racism. So if the NAACP says it, then right. guess what, folks? It's probably right. not. <laughs> right. right. Well, I'm from and New I think York. It wasn't. Yeah. What what in there? Didn't you guys have on the show an African American policeman? Am oh I, yeah, we had Sheriff right Little. What? We had Sheriff yeah, Little. We and, had and, uh, uh, Dobro in our in the first episode. Um, we had we had black folk and white folk and red folk. We had all kinds of folk, and nobody ever pointed out what color anybody was because nobody ever noticed. Right. 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 You know, I think I yep. think what's happened with this whole uh, I like to say that it's 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 selling division under the guise of equality. The kind of things that Al Sharpton is doing is just it's an atrocity. I I'm glad I'm going to have a chance to say this. I think if Martin Luther King Jr. were alive today, the first thing he would do is go punch Al Sharpton right in the mouth. 
<laughs> he has done more to divide black people and white people than any single human being on the planet, other than perhaps Obama. And yep. it, it's an atrocity, especially that he's he's peddling his dope to young people who don't know any better. I, I see people who are now more aware of blacks and whites and, and browns and Hispanics and, oh, my God, there's an Apache. You know, people are now, because they're so afraid to say something like Apache, they're so afraid to offend somebody somewhere that now we're all, we're all, except me, obviously, we're all, (laughs) we're all walking (laughs) on eggshells. And when you walk on eggshells, you're not yourself. So it's very difficult now for people to actually be who they are. You know, now we're saying, well, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. Well, I never even considered it. I wrote a, I wrote a blog a, a couple of months ago about how I don't see racism. I don't see it at the airport. I don't see it in the restaurant. I don't see it walking down the street. I've not seen racism anywhere, perhaps because I'm not looking for it. If you look for it, or you'll find it. Yeah. So here's a here's here buy this vowel, folks. Stop looking for it. Look for yeah. look look for people. You know, folks, folks is folks. There yeah. are no black folks. There are no white folks. There are no African-Americans. There are no I mean, there are many, many white people that came from Africa who are, by definition, African-Americans. But if you you try to wave that flag, somebody will shoot you. They'll shoot. Yeah. I don't mean they'll shoot you bang. They'll shoot you down. They'll ridicule you. But yeah. why is it not true? Yeah. Someone from Africa yeah. who is an American. We're not saying what color they are. We're saying they're from Africa and they're an American. Right. I have I have one in a uh, I wrote a script called The Fairway. And I've got uh, I have a gay couple, uh, a black man and a and a white man. They're both mechanics. And <laughs> and the white the white guy is from Africa. Yeah. And so in the couple, uh, you know, my my Christian friends, of course, love that whole notion. But still, why not? I mean, I love people. I've, I've, I've folks right. is folks, like I said. So in in their relationship, they get a kick out of out of uh, saying, hey, how many how you know, point out the African-American in the room. And of course, they point to the black guy and they're wrong because he's from Cleveland. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, folks, well, if that hasn't just if that hasn't just turned your world around, then get a hold of my book and watch some of my movies. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm, you got me interested for sure. I think we could do a whole episode on what you said about Obama. I'm a little hesitant to get into that because I, I know your time is limited. But one thing <laughs> I guess I would call it a, a little bit of, of pushback is at, like I agree with you as far as not not looking for it and, and that sort of thing. But like, for example, a close buddy of mine, um, he was he was telling me the things that he has to think through as a as a black male that I do not have to think through like for example um you know getting getting pulled over by a cop he's constantly thinking okay am I safe is is you know the shit gonna hit the fan here sort of thing um another guy told me that 
that basically he actually teaches his sons. If you get pulled over, you basically immediately tell the cop, I'm coming from such and such. I'm going to such and such. Here's my license. And I, I mean, that was so eye opening for me. I was like, I, I would never even think to teach my boys that, you know? So do you think part of it would be maybe there's stuff that you and I just don't know because we are white dudes? Um, I'm sure there is, but I would, I would love to ask your friend the question. Would he, would he feel just as uncomfortable if if the cop were black? Yeah. And I'm, I would think the answer is yes. So that it's not a, it's not a white on black thing. It's not a race thing. It's a, it's a cop on civilian thing. Whenever I get pulled yeah. over, I've been pulled over in a long time. But what I do is I either put, I, I roll my window down and I put both my hands on the side of the car. Like I'm like, I, I want, I want the gentleman or woman, black, white, or yellow or red to see both of my hands. Yeah, I do that. Uh, I've always done that. Um, right. So I don't, I don't know. Um, I'd heard that before, um, but I don't know if there really is any truth to that unless it depends on where you are. You know, there are, there are, uh, terrible parts of every, every municipality. And it's not just because people say, well, you know, that's racist because you're obviously talking about the black parts. No, I'm not. There's white trash parts of towns that you wouldn't want to go into either. Yeah. There just are. So if you're a, you're a man or a woman, black, white, doesn't matter, in a uniform going through that neighborhood, or you just heard that some, I, I tell you what, if I was, if I was running through, uh, jogging through the black part of town, if there is such a thing anymore, uh, what is, uh, Michelle talked about white flight. I don't believe that's true either. Um, and some white guy had just robbed a liquor store and I was jogging through the neighborhood. Chances are I'd be treated the same way. I think it's a situational thing. I don't, I don't believe that people are nearly as universally race. Well, they are now because of this. That's why I say it's, it's a division under the guise of equality. Um, my God, there was a, there was a, uh, uh, a white, a, a mixed racial couple on the Jeffersons. That was 45 years yep. ago. Have we yeah, not come any, you know, there's, there's the proof in the pudding right there is I think we were more diverse. We were more, we were more less aware of our skin color 45 years ago than we are today. So what direction are we Gosh, really going? No, that's an interesting thought. I, I mean, I would say a lot of a lot of people would would be that, but we're, you know, we're also talking barely removed from segregated schools, for instance. But gosh, that's an interesting thought. That really is interesting. Well, um, you know, battle. Our, I don't think the battle. I, I think the battle was was fought and won, and fought and won brilliantly with with the blood of many many innocent people to continue fighting a battle 
after people have died to win it is doing a disservice to those who died to win it. To be able to make division something that puts money in your pocket, something that puts butts in your seats, something that keeps you on television, I think God does not smile at that. Now, what about what about the like the the real racism though that exists? Like, well, I mean, on which side you're talking about uh, white racist or black racist? I guess, or I guess all racist. of it. Well, that's I, I guess all of it. It's going to be human nature. Human nature yeah. is there's an us and them. Really, I I don't believe that there is a uh, a black white race issue. I I don't think color has nearly as much to do with race. I'm sorry, with uh, with uh, prejudice as social standing or finance, financial standing do. I do believe there, there is a, there is a, uh, an untrusting, uh, a division between wealthy people and poor people. Uh, and what's the old thing they, they say, you know, everybody has, they, two things they agree on about rich people is they all hate, they, nobody trusts rich people and they all want to be one. <laughs> <laughs> but in that is not implied rich white people or rich black people or rich red people or rich yellow people. It's rich people. So I do believe right. there is a division there. Um, but that's a division that we, we live in a free country. We're able to, uh, we're, we're all able to try to do better. And I think now, especially now, because there's so much opportunity now, a lot of people are trying to do better. We're getting rid of many systems that, that encourage people to try to either do nothing or do worse so they can get more money. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. We could, we could do this for hours, man, yeah. for sure. All right. So I, I, I know your your time is limited, and I want yes, to make sure. Yes, it is. I've sure we, enjoyed we, this. Yeah. Well, let me let me ask you three more questions, okay. and then I'll tell everybody uh, everybody um, the different things. And like I said, they'll be in the show notes. So, Tyler Perry and Johnny Cash, just a snapshot <laughs> of what 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 those guys are like, Isn't or what Johnny great? Cash was like. You know, I'm going to tell Tyler that that uh, I did an interview, and and he was. He was thrown into the same sentence with Johnny. He will love that. He will love that. <laughs> Johnny was a delightful. Yeah, hey, t- tell him how great this podcast was, too. And tell will, Tyler Perry to come on. <laughs> I will. Um, Johnny, Johnny was an amazingly honest, goofy, caring man. Uh, someone who was very much aware of his scars and his faults. And I think very much not aware of his gifts. Uh, he would have some humility there. Oh my God. He was, he was amazing. He was amazing. Um, and you lived with him for how long? About a year and a half. Yeah. And, um, and was that, was that in the peak of his career? No, no, he'd been dropped by the record label. And people forget that. People forget that, that yeah. uh, a lot of people were thrown away before they died, and then they became uh, legends after. Um, 
which is something else that's, of course, not fair. But um, I was with Johnny when he, when he was uh, when he was not picked up by his record label, and I was with Waylon when he was one of them was not picked up and one of them was dropped. I don't remember which one was which, but I was with both of them when it happened. So maybe it was me. Gosh. <laughs> um, Gosh. Yeah, maybe maybe it was me. Um, but he took that in stride too. You know, he was Johnny Cash yeah. for crying out loud. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tyler Perry, I, you know how, how much uh, I talk about, I, there's no leisure, and, and I, my work is my leisure, and, and we, we work hard and love every minute of it. Well, Tyler, I think, would probably pass me by two times a day. Not three, <laughs> but two. Uh, this is the, the hardest working person I've ever seen. Uh, and he, he is in such search for excellence in everything that he does. Um, it is a, it is an honor. It's, uh, an inspiration. I've not been inspired because I've been doing this a long time and I thought I, I thought I knew 90% of what I needed to know. And when I started doing the haves and have nots, I thought, my God, this, this guy, this guy really, really uh, needs to be paid attention to. <laughs> he yeah. is the king of efficiency. And uh, when Gosh, it all boils cool. down to it, it's about efficiency. When you're filming a movie or a television show, uh, ultimately you're filming a schedule. Right. And uh, right. this guy is, is, uh, is amazing. So I'm yeah. I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying the friendship. If I have any 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 real trouble, I don't abuse it. But if I if I need a prayer, I need uh, I need somebody just to vent to. I can always get him on the phone, and and uh, it's a, a wonderful wonderful thing. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Well, John, one more question. Okay. With your um, you have an inspirational album recite called Recycling Grace, a Southern rock project, Redneck Rebel, uh, illustrious music career. And I was just curious, was there ever any tension or problems during the Dukes of Hazard days with your music career? Like, was there any ever Con- conflicted interest or people frustrated with where you're spending your time or anything like that? No, no. The Dukes, uh, the, the timing of it worked out really, really well. I had, uh, I would do concerts on the weekends. Um, and my music was just kind of out there for, uh, a couple of years when I was with CBS. But then when I moved to MCA, it was the last year of Dukes of Hazard. So just before Dukes was over for me, my first, uh, number one song happened. So it actually was, there was very little of both of them happening at the same time. So no, it was, I wish I could take credit for that, that transition, but uh, it was just smooth and wonderful and took one foot off a number one television show and stepped onto a number one uh, song. Um, yeah, that's pretty yep, cool. That's yep. pretty cool. But I think, you know, that kind of stuff happens when you, when you, uh, when you, work so much at it you know it doesn't have to the the one thing is for sure if you don't record a song you're not going to have a number one record (laughs) so i mean you've got to do it you've got to do it hey let me throw one other quick thing at you um yeah the c the c bow d oil as cute as cute as that is uh my wife and i have had a a uh about over the last six months, seven months now, 
uh, with cancer. A lot of people have had a lot of people hear that word. And people Both ask me, people ask me about the CBD oil. And I, right. I do not believe that CBD oil is a cure all or even a cure. But what I've seen firsthand is that there's some properties about CBD oil or CBD oil that prepare the body. I like to talk about soil and plants. I like to garden. So I believe that CBD oil prepares the body to welcome the medication, to welcome the change in diet, to welcome whatever it is you can do that cancer doesn't like. So while, while it's not something you take and your cancer goes away, I do believe beyond the shadow of a doubt in our lives here that CBD oil is directly responsible for preparing Alicia's body to accept the medication. Wow. So kind of wrap your, wow. wrap your mind around that artichoke. Uh, yep. And if someone you know is going through that, Get a hold of some CBD oil. If you want to get mine, that's great. I'd love for you to get mine, but get a hold of it. Who's going to pass just, up apple pie moonshine? Yeah, well, you know, we're, <laughs> we're going with the whole bow thing. And uh, so it has a nice taste to it. Some of them don't. Doesn't mean they're not right. working. Oh, know, some of us. Some of them taste nasty. like you, yeah. you licked a lawnmower blade. But um, <laughs> Which I don't recommend, by the way. I don't recommend licking a lawnmower <laughs> blade. But if you are going through that or if you're going through other health issues, I do believe that it's not just cancer. It's right. anything where you are, are currently taking a medication. Obviously, I think diet has a lot to do with it. Obviously, I think exercise has a lot to do with it. But I do believe that CBD oil prepares the earth for the miracle grow. <laughs> That's cool. Okay, because if you just spray a plant with Miracle Grow, you will burn it. You've got to treat right. the soil as well. Right. right. Okay. I like it. Yep. And everybody, also, this will be in the show notes, but uh, I, I regret that we weren't able to talk about this. But the Children's Miracle Network that John helped find is just an unbelievable non. Yeah, look that so up. Folks. You guys, it's check a, that out. It's crazy good. Yeah, Thirty-seven mean, years old. Uh, a- over seven billion dollars raised in. It's been 37 years. Um, So, yeah, check it out. You know it. Everybody knows it. I'm sure once you see the logo, you'll go, oh, I put some coins in that little canister. So uh, check it out. And thank you for this. I enjoyed every second of it. Thank you, John, so much. And just congratulations. I mean, not congratulations, but I just want to humbly say tip my hat to to your life, man. It it really (laughs) is amazing. All the stuff that you did. Seriously, seriously. Well, thanks for your time. You got it. You have a wonderful. Hey, everybody, expect good things. Oh,